You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. All right, good morning, City on a Hill. It is good to be here with you, good to be opening God's Word, good to be thinking through these really difficult questions that, as Guy said, are shaping the world we live in. I'm Ben, I'm on staff here at City on a Hill, and it's my privilege to be opening up this subject of euthanasia with you this morning. Shall we pray and ask God for his help as we do that? Gracious God, you are the giver of life. Lord, you are the creator of life. Lord, life is challenging and no more so than when we're facing suffering and death. So Lord, please help us this morning. Please help us grapple with this question. Please help us grapple with the reality, the experience of life and death. Lord, we pray that you'd give us hope as we do that. In your name we pray, amen. Well, friends, I want to start by reading a poem. This is a poem on the experience of life and the experience of being human with all of its ups and downs. It's from the Bible, from the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read it for us. We heard a little snippet on the video. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I love how realistic the Bible is on those ups and downs of life, and it's birth and death that frame our existence, isn't it? There is a time for those things, and and those thoughts of death and life and timing are kind of front and center this week, aren't we, as we grieve and mark the death of the queen. We're thinking about how long the time she had to reign and and everything that happened in it. She was an ever-present in my life. It seems strange that she is gone, but, but all of us will go. All of us have experienced death around us, and for some of us, we are in that time of death now, mourning and weeping are very near us. And so I want to acknowledge right from the start that that is very painful. My hope is that by the end of our service, you'll have even just a glimmer of hope restored as we explore the scriptures together. Another poet, W.H. Auden, says, Death is like a distant roll of thunder at a picnic. It looms over life. We all know there is a time to die, but sometimes it comes out of nowhere and takes us by surprise, and sometimes it creeps slowly and painfully. And timing is key here, right? Surely life would be better if we had more say on that time, right? Surely we could care and love people better if we knew when that time was coming. 
That's where euthanasia comes in. We're going to take a moment to get the lie of the land here with this subject. It comes from a Greek word translated literally good death. The Australian Medical Association says that it is the act of deliberately ending the life of a patient for the purpose of ending intolerable pain and or suffering. It's legal in various places around the world and in all states in Australia. Now, it looks different in different places. In some, a doctor prescribes a lethal drug that a a patient can take. That is physician-assisted suicide. In some, a doctor administers an injection when the patient cannot do it themselves. That is voluntary euthanasia. In Victoria, we've had it legal since 2017. Here we call it voluntary assisted dying. And there are safeguards around that right. Uh, To access life-ending medication, you must be assessed by two experienced medical practitioners. You must make three separate and reviewed requests. And you must meet all six of the eligibility criteria. Notably, you must be able to make this decision yourself. Your diagnosis must be six months to live or less. And your suffering cannot be relieved in a manner that you consider tolerable. Now, we are not eligible only, and I say that I don't use that word lightly, only if we have a disability or a mental illness. And look, I'm not going to talk directly today on mental illness or suicide explicitly, though those are very important issues for our community and for us as people. And if you're dealing with it or or someone in your life is dealing with it, please come and pray with us at the end of the service. We'd love to start that journey of care with you and and for you. To to frame this as a a left and right issue is not actually that helpful. Back in 2017, you might remember Daniel Andrews supported this bill passing. He said, we face lonely, violent deaths without assisted dying. Uh, But it's not just an issue for the left side of politics. There's a bill that's recently passed in New South Wales. It had multi-party support across the line. It's been described as an odd alliance between left and right of social and economic libertarians, all committed to the same culture of choice. Peter Singer is a world-renowned atheist, ethicist, and Australian. He puts it like this. Why should we not be able to decide for ourselves in consultation with doctors when our quality of life has fallen to the point where we would prefer not to go on living. Why not? Surely we know ourselves. When is our time to die and why we want to die? In the U.S. state of Oregon, euthanasia has been legal since 1997, and so they've been keeping data on why people choose this way of dying. Here's their research from 2021. As in previous years, the three most frequently reported end-of-life concerns were loss of autonomy in 93% of cases, decreasing ability to participate in activities that made life enjoyable 92%. That's not being able to do the things that have given you life for the whole of your life. And then the loss of dignity, 68%. Now, I'm going to share why I stand with the majority of Christians today and in the history of the church in resisting legalized euthanasia. Fundamentally, it's because God is is a God of life, the giver of life. 
Death enters the world as an invader, as a, a consequence of sin. It is always the enemy. In any form, death is the enemy to God's good creation. But thinking about those reasons, I can empathize with those sentiments. I understand the, the pain and the fear and the hopelessness and the suffering of terminal illness, degenerative illnesses and, and death. I've got a picture of my much loved grandmother here. There she is, we call her Nanny. This is her in her pomp. Nanny in 2013 was in pretty good health. Uh, she was in her 70s, but she had a debilitating stroke. So she then spent nine weeks in hospital, and, and in that time, the staff spotted some of the early signs of dementia. She never left hospital. She, sorry, she did, but she never went home. She went to a care home where dementia took hold. Her clarity dropped. Her engagement in the world dropped. Her conversation tailed off. Her will to keep going diminished. She spent her last two years two years in bed. Her mind seemed to go faster than her body. My dad would visit, but she'd be asleep or, or she'd be vacant. She had little quality of life. Her dignity seemed diminished. She was entirely dependent on carers or family just for the basics of living. Her contribution to the world was negligible. When she finally died, the truth is it came as a relief. Now, why wouldn't I have wanted to end her life before that end? Are there any good reasons for not choosing euthanasia in her circumstances or the circumstances that I'm sure all of us can tap into and have experienced with people in our lives? There are. There is, in fact, a long and rich line of Christian thought where God's spirit has brought his word to life and, and shaped the thinking of his church, his people, for the last 2,000 years. So there is a lot of wisdom for us to lean on. And so here's the plan for the rest of our time. We're going to unpack some of the reasons for resisting it. I'm calling it a Christian response to euthanasia, not the only response, not the complete response. There'll be gaps in what I say. Of course there will. Sharon's going to pick all those up afterwards in Q&A. And now we're going to look at this response, a response, and then we'll look at what good news Christianity has for life now, even in the face of death and suffering, and then the good news that Christianity has for life forever. Are you with me? All right. Well, a moment ago, we, we saw in the state of Oregon those top three reasons for wanting euthanasia. They are similar to the reasons we find in various parts of the world where this is legal. So we're going to take them one by one and explore them and use them to gather some of the threads that run through the scriptures to help us think through this very complex issue. So first one, let's think about dignity. Uh, dignitas has been promoting and helping people secure the right to euthanasia since 1998. Their tagline is to live with dignity, to die with dignity. And the implication there is that as we head towards death, perhaps when we're diagnosed with a, a terminal or a degenerative illness, there's a risk we might lose dignity. And so let's die before that happens, before we lose that dignity, before pain and stress distress take over or we become dependent or other people or we can't contribute to the world the way we once did or, or we lose control of our bodies. Now, no doubt, 
those difficulties come as death draws near. But the Bible sees dignity differently. A human being can't lose dignity. Uh, We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. This is a passage we've been in before in the series. We're going to come back to it because it is foundational to our understanding of humanity. Genesis 1, let me read verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We are the the pinnacle friends of creation. We are God's final flourish in an already good world. Psalm 8 builds on this. Uh, We read, you have made him, humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with honor and glory. You see, we're made in God's image. We are the imago Dei. And so he gives us this inherent incorruptible, unlosable dignity and honor and glory for every single human for the entirety of our existence. Now, we will face awful difficulties as our bodies decline. We will lose bodily functions and and capacity for self-care. But even then, we have not lost our dignity as human beings. Even to push this to the extreme, if life is no more than breathing, We have still not lost our dignity as human beings. John Wyatt is a Christian ethicist. He says, even then, we are still members of the human community, persons to whom for all their tragic disability, we owe wonder, respect, empathy, and protection. Here's why this matters. It means that dignity cannot be calculated based on our contribution to the world. It can't be measured or or weighed up based on what I'm bringing to the table about what I can do or can't do. And in that, there is protection for the weak and the vulnerable, for the very young and the very old. Human value is not based on human output. And it's not just Christians who've grasped how important this idea is. Do you know who one of the the most vocal resistant groups against euthanasia is? It's disability supports activists. They know that legalizing euthanasia and and having laws like we have in Victoria eventually creates a, a culture where someone can say, maybe I'd be better off dead. And others can agree with them and facilitate it. Where a legal right to die can subtly shift to a a duty to die. As that person who already feels the the weight of their burden on other people can see it as an easy way to slip out. If dignity can be measured and it can be lost, well then why stop at those who've less than six months to live? Why not permit this for someone with a, a permanent disability? But do we want to live in a society that even accidentally fosters that kind of attitude? Isn't the Christian take on dignity more beautiful than that? The author G.K. Chesterton said this, people are equal in the same way pennies are equal. Pennies are coins. Do you remember coins? 
People are equal in the same way pennies are equal. Some are bright, others are dull. Some are worn smooth, others are sharp and fresh. But all are equal in value for each penny bears the image of the sovereign. Each person bears the image of the king of kings. We can't lose that dignity we have as human beings. Let's think about the second reason now for wanting euthanasia from those studies in Oregon. And this is the diminished or decreased ability to enjoy life. This is a picture of Brittany Maynard. Uh, Brittany was 29 years old, just married, when she was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor and given six months to live. She decided to refuse treatment. Uh, She instead chose to tick off her bucket list of U.S. national parks. She did Yellowstone and Alaska and the, the Grand Canyon, and then she chose November the 1st as the day. As she went for a morning hike with her husband Dan and and some family and friends and their dogs. And then she came home and she posted this farewell on social media. She said goodbye to all my dear friends and family that I love. Today is the day I have chosen to pass away with dignity in the face of my terminal illness, this terrible brain cancer that has taken so much from me, but would have taken so much more. And so she took her prescribed drugs and she died peacefully. Her death would have been one of suffering. There would have been little enjoyment. And so she decided to go out on a high doing the things she loved, soaking up enjoyment before that suffering took its toll. And on the face of it, that seems reasonable, right? Why go on living if things will only get worse? And it seems rational partly because we live in a culture, the air we breathe is one where pleasure and and enjoyment are a supreme good to be pursued. And it's opposite, death and, and suffering and pain are supreme evils to be resisted at all costs. But again, the Bible sees things a bit differently. Suffering is never something to be pursued, but it can have a purpose. Let me read from Philippians. This is chapter three, Paul writing, for his sake, Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying here that that we experience suffering, and when we do, we share in Christ's suffering. We become more like him, and ultimately, that is the purpose God has for his people, to shape and conform us more and more to the image of Jesus. And that can happen even in our suffering, where God can draw Christ-likeness and the fruit of the Spirit to our lives. He can can draw faith and greater dependence on him to bear in our lives. He can draw perseverance and patience in the face of that difficulty because Jesus suffered and displayed those things. The stats say that in something like 90% of cases now, the the end of life care, palliative care, pain relief, uh, means that pain, physical pain is not a a factor in something like 90% of cases where people have a terminal illness. But that still leaves 10%. And that is a lot of people who will experience pain, real deep physical pain 
with their illness. And that is gut-wrenchingly awful. And Jesus feels that too. He has known the deep pain and suffering. He was whipped and strips of flesh were torn off his body. He was beaten and mocked mercilessly. He was nailed to a cross and left gasping for breath until his body gave up. He knows suffering and death. And that means he can empathize with us as we go through those awful experiences of suffering and death. But he's also done something about that pain of death. And this is really important. Uh, Paul helps us see in Philippians that there is hope that, that we, like Jesus, will attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, we're going to come back to this, but it means that there is an end point for suffering. It's not ongoing and forever. There's a moment where it will finish. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And even if that light is distant and dim, it is there. A guaranteed promise, giving us a glimmer of hope in that darkness. For Christian suffering has some purpose, and it's not the entirety of our existence. There is more to come. All right, that is a little undignity and that diminished enjoyment or suffering of life. Now, the number one reason for euthanasia is the desire to be autonomous. It's autonomy. Uh, Von Roberts, an author, sums up the attitude like this. It's my life, my death, my choice. And control is key here, right? I want to go out on my own terms. I've lived my life with me in charge. I want to die with me in charge. But again, the Bible helps us see things differently. There's a, a thread that runs through from the beginning of Scripture. So in that passage that we read in Genesis 1 where God is the one who gives life. Uh, we see that he gives life throughout the scriptures, but he also gives death. Here is Deuteronomy. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hands. It's a strong words. But in the New Testament, Paul says something similar. He says in Acts, rather he himself, God gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For in him, we live and move and have our being. The Lord is the one who gives life and the Lord takes it away. Only God has that right. The scriptures point us back to that consistently. I might want autonomy over my life, but the truth is that I did nothing to bring about my existence. Wherever we think life comes from, it cannot come from me. I cannot be the one that creates my existence. And so that has to make us pause and, and ask, is my life and therefore my death really my own to do with what I please? That's a pretty direct challenge to euthanasia. But you might say, wait a minute, Ben, what, what's the difference between death by voluntary assisted dying on one hand or, or the death of someone because a life support machine is turned off? And that happens all the time. Or what's the difference between voluntary assisted dying and death that comes about because pain medication is turned up so high that death inevitably follows? Isn't that just autonomy with another name? Isn't that taking God's prerogative? I had to wrestle with this. I couldn't really see a difference 
to begin with. So I reached out to Denise Cooper-Clark. Denise is a, a Christian doctor and ethicist here in Melbourne. She's written and spoken a lot on this issue. And so if you want one person to follow up online afterwards, Denise is my recommendation. She's excellent. Uh, she said, intent is key. In some situations, pain management or, or symptom control can carry the real risk of death as a side effect. But the intention is treatment or pain relief. That's what protects doctors from being prosecuted for murder. Denise writes, when we kill, we take the life that is God's to give and take away into our own hands. When we let die under appropriate circumstances, we leave life and death in God's hands. There are some rare circumstances where treatment is withdrawn and the patient survives. Life and death is God's domain, not ours. Now, here's a tension. And if you're in healthcare or palliative care, or, or you've been with someone in their late stages of life, you might have felt this tension. Uh, we fight against death, don't we? As a, a fundamental evil to be resisted. We pray that God would heal. We, we seek medical treatment. We resist suicide. We're called to struggle against death, and yet... We know the futility of that struggle, ultimately. And even more as Christians, we know that there is better on the other side of death. And so there's a tension. And I don't like it. I want a, a neater, tidier answer here from the Bible. I want more clarity. But there are aspects of life and death that we just don't get the full picture on. That we're left with a, a little bit of mystery. And when that happens, in these moments, we need to turn back to what we do know with clarity. And so to finish, we're going to do that now. We've two things left to say. The first is this. Jesus is good news for now, for life. Over the last few weeks, I've heard some beautiful stories of the Christian community here in Melbourne, the church, rallying around people as they die and as they seek treatment for illness. I heard one story where the father of a, a gospel community, Melbourne, uh, here, had cancer. His father was in Malaysia. And so this gospel community and others here at church raised thousands of dollars for this man to access innovative cancer treatment. This was a man they'd never met, standing together in resisting death. It's beautiful. There's another story of a lady dying recently. Her church community signed up for a 24-hour roster. So there would be someone beside her bed holding her hand right up until her moment of death. God's instruments of love in her last days. And you might say, sure, Ben, but any group of humans would do the same. And you might be right. But this is what the church should be known for. Let me read what Jesus says to his followers. This is John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, on the hill, we should be known by the way we love one another. 
Jesus has a, a vision here of his people deeply, sacrificially loving one another. And that has to be especially true in our last days of life. Jesus did that. He had deep compassion. He spent lots of time with the the sick and the vulnerable. He healed. He raised three people back to life. He resisted death. And we take our cues from him. When we get sick, we often feel this terrible burden that we're holding other people back or we're slowing them down. But Jesus says, no, you're not a burden. You're a blessing. You're an opportunity for your community to love and support together. Life is meant to be lived in community. We're made to be interdependent on one another. We know this, don't we, right? Babies born, they need someone to clean them and dress them and feed them, to foster them and nurture their life. That's true for babies, but it can also be true for those at the end of life with old age or or illness. That kind of dependence is not undignified. That is being human. So Jesus calls us to be good news now. Church, this is our call. Now, we don't need to be healthcare professionals to care, though that helps. Some of us have grandparents. Or we've got parents who are getting older, or we've got friends that are less mobile than they once were, or we've got loved ones with severe disabilities, or, or we've got friends and family with terminal and degenerative illnesses, all people with deep dignity and worth. Wouldn't it reignite that sense of worth and and value in them if we spend more time with them, not less, as they go through those difficulties? Wouldn't it remind them that they are loved and valued if we visit them and spend time with them and listen to them? Or we call them or or we write a letter to them or we make them sure that they know they're loved. And look, don't just stop with a person in the middle of that. That person will have carers all around them. Who do you know in your network that is on the front line caring for someone, carrying that heavy burden? Reach out to them. It might be as simple as a, a coffee and a chat so they have an opportunity to be listened to as they carry that weight. It's incredibly difficult. Love one another. Uh, we've talked as a staff team that we could create a, a new mercy ministry with all of these left and right topics. Well, here's the good news on this one. We already have one. We've got the living room. Here it is. This is our community visitor scheme program where we offer friendship for older people living in aged care facilities or at home, but, but feeling that isolation and loneliness. If you have time and the inclination or prompting even today, go to the website, check out whether this is something you could commit time to. Put all this together and surely the vision Jesus has for his church being good news now is better than intervening to end lives. Surely it's better for individuals and it's better for our society as a whole. If you're a Christian Friends, this is our call to love with action, to be good news. Last thing I want to say is this. Jesus is good news forever. In the Netherlands, there is a move to legalize euthanasia. Uh, They're calling it the end of a completed life. Sorry, euthanasia. This is for anyone who's over the age of 75. All you need to do is to express a persistent request to die. Nothing else. Be over 75 and want to die. And in one sense, there's, there's logic to that, right? If, if life, if this life is all there is, 
Well, then, before the end of life grabs you, before you're ready, well, then access this completed life euthanasia and go in your own time. But Jesus says this life is not all there is. There's more. There's better. He gives us a glorious picture of life forever without pain and suffering and without bodies that, that break down and die, those bodies that we all have and inhabit. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 15. Here is what we can expect. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Friends, this is the hope at the heart of the gospel. Hope in the face of death. Universally, we know that illness and suffering and death, they are wretched things. Our bodies wither and groan and fail. And euthanasia is an attempt to make that better, but it's, it's fighting death with death. Jesus has better. He has more. Because at the end of the day, we all have a, a time to die. And that is an awful, heartbreaking reality. Uh, we have to watch others die. That is an awful, heartbreaking reality. We feel the sting of death deeply. But the beauty and the truth of the gospel is that we have a God who hates death and we have a God who has done something about death. He has raised Jesus to life and Jesus is not a one-off. Jesus is the first fruit, the, the sign of what is to come for everyone who trusts in him and these promises. And it's not a, a wafty, vague, kind of cloudy promise. No, it is a, a bodily promise. It's a promise that these bodies, flesh and blood, will be raised to new life, imperishable, not corruptible by terminal illness or degenerative illnesses or death. There is a day coming when old age and illness will be gone, when there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more death. God, if you aren't a Christian, we want you to know Jesus and know the depth of these promises. Because we will all experience death, but there is no one else who can do anything about it but Jesus. We want you to stand with us together and we will sing shortly with hope. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? because there is a day coming when Jesus will take it away. Isn't that good news? Friends, why don't we pray? And then we'll have some Q&A. We'll have a stretch first, then some Q&A. Uh, send in your questions for that now. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you alone give hope in the face of death. Lord, help us hold fast to that hope. I pray particularly for people now experiencing that, whether themselves or with a loved one near. I pray, Father, that you would bring hope. Lord, use us to be love in action now. Lord, help us to see that, that your vision for life is compelling and beautiful. And even in the complexities of suffering and death, you give us meaning and purpose and hope.
Lord, I pray that we would hold fast to those things now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Ben. Really, such a massive uh, topic for us to really explore what it means to be human fundamentally, what Jesus mm. has to say about that, what Jesus has to say about these key uh, issues of suffering, of, mm. uh, of life. So thank you for sending in your questions. Let's just dive straight in now. First question, could it be argued assisting death is a relief and a severe mercy? A mercy blown da- blow down in care with compassion. Mm. Yeah, yeah it is. It is argued. That, that's one of the key arguments for uh, euthanasia. It was one of the key themes that, that uh, went through the, the campaign in 2017 here to have it legalized. Mm. Um, so absolutely it could be argued. And, and even as a, a Christian, I'll speak from my own perspective, uh, death can be seen as a mercy. Mm. Um, yeah. My father was relieved that he didn't have to drive an hour there and an hour back to see my grandmother in that state as she kind of neared death. And it did come as a relief. Um, I think though, on mass, it's, it's hard to, to not think about this with individuals, but as a society, uh, I think there's a risk where we, there's, there's an opening to something more significant with uh, unintended consequences as we let this in. So yes, it could be seen as a severe mercy and we all will know people and we've read stories in the media uh, whether there are people for whom it has been merciful, um, but it becomes more than mercy as time goes on. That's what's happening in the Netherlands where they've had euthanasia for longer. So it might start with mercy and certainly in Victoria now, I think that's, that is the, the desire behind the law is, is that it would give mercy to those who are dying in, in painful, terrible situations. Um, but it's what happens next. It's how that creeps into other areas of life, so much so that in the Netherlands, where, like I mentioned, all you need to do is not be 75 and, and feel finished with life. Um, I think it's, there's, a, there's risks attached to it that it might start with mercy, but become more, become more um, pervasive. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ben. Let's dive into the next question. Here we are. The argument for euthanasia seems no different from the euthanasia of pets, diminishing inevitable and unnecessary suffering. Are you saying that suffering is necessary and should never be reduced? Uh, Sharon, I'll hand over to you. Oh, what a question. Mm. Um, I think it's really difficult to argue yes or no and answer yes or no to a question like that. Um, I think something that's been going through my mind as I've listened um, to the sermon today is that God has said throughout time that he is good and that he is trustworthy and what he says is true. Um, And... Certainly in the case of Jesus, suffering was necessary. Um, But I think also for us, I think it's really hard to just give a yes or no answer to that. Um, I really do think that there is a recognition that we have to give to God that he is sovereign overall and that he, um, yeah, whether it's suffering or joy, that's within his purview. Um, And that's, that's where I would land on that. Then there's a, a couple of things in that. There's mm. the kind of suffering, is it necessary? Then there's the pet versus human situation. Mm. <laughs> Can you speak into that? Like, what's the distinction? Animals, humans, is there a difference in terms of how we think about this? Yeah, yeah. In one sense, we're all living creatures, we're all living beings, but there is a distinct kind of category difference in the Bible. We look at Genesis and you see that, that humanity is the, the peak. It's the, it's the top of the, the food chain, if you like. It's uh, God's flourish in his good creation. So I think... We shouldn't think of ourselves on the same level as pets. 
Uh, yes, we, we all have life, and yes, pets can go through severe suffering, and, and putting a pet down is, is a way of mercifully dealing with that. But I think humans and pets are fundamentally um, in different categories of worth and value and dignity. Um, is suffering, well, I think the question finished with, is suffering necessary? And what was the last line? Uh, I don't think, I think we do resist suffering. That's what good palliative care is. I think good palliative care is, is dealing with the pain of physical suffering, but, but it's more than that. They talk about total pain uh, at the end of life. It's sort of this existential crisis that, that people plunge into thinking back on, on what we've done or haven't done. And, and there's, uh, there's, a, there's a mental dimension to that, a, an emotional dimension, a relational dimension to that pain. And good palliative care deals with that physical pain and gives people space mm. to deal with those relationship dynamics or to process some of the things they have or haven't done in their life. So we resist suffering. Even as Christians, we resist suffering. We don't want suffering. God does not want suffering. He can use suffering, but he doesn't want it uh, for us. It's, mm. it's not going to be part of his good new creation. Right. That's a helpful distinction. Great. Right. Let's dive into the next question. If we can choose to use medicine to extend life from what could have been a sure death, isn't that counterintuitive to when God shouldn't have taken us away? If we can extend, why can't we end life? Sharon, do you want to jump into that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, This actually was a conversation my family had to have when my grandfather um, was at his end of life um, and medication and costs were just sort of beyond what we could handle. Um, Thankfully, my grandfather knew Jesus, and so he, uh, when he was still um, alert and sober, gave us his reasoning, and I think that helped a lot. Um, But I think we have to also recognize that medicine is part of God's creation, technology, all of that. Um, And so I think if there is, uh, if it's reasonable um, to, to cover those costs, to have that effort to preserve and extend life, Mm. um, then than than yay Mm. Uh, but I think ultimately again God is sovereign and he gives life and he takes away Mm. so thanks Sharon Ben anything to add to that um the doctors used to swear the Hippocratic Oath which goes it predates Christ uh, and it's a an oath that promises to preserve life and actually talks about not ending life through poisons or or suicide and wanting to preserve the life of of patients Uh, I think humans at least that back that far, which is thousands of years, and certainly in the, in the tradition of the church and Christianity for the last 2,000 years, have seen preserving life as a fundamental good. Yeah. Uh, that is the, the work of medicine and, uh, and keeping people alive. Ending life is, is, a, is an act to intervene and uh, take what, is, what kind of goes contrary to that Hippocratic Oath and, and Christian tradition of wanting to preserve and, and nurture life, which I think is the, the, the vision we have in the Bible. Jesus heals. Jesus raises people from the dead and Jesus fights and resists death. Uh, He preserves life, extends life, Mm. knowing that even those three people he raises from the dead will eventually die again at one stage. Right. So you're saying even though there's human involvement and decision making in Mm. both, there's a fundamental distinction between preserving life and hastening hastening death. That's better than what I said. Yes. You said it. Just summarizing. That was great. Um, Okay. We've got another question. Same one? A little bit of... Got a final question? 
Here we are, last question. All these biblical arguments might be good grounds for a Christian to make a personal decision on euthanasia, but should we aim to legislate based on this and impose our morality on others? So that question between the church and the state again, Mm. playing into that. Um, Ben, do you want to dive in? I think we live in a society where we do get a voice. We do live in a plural society where Christians can speak and bring our views to bear, which we did in 2017, that ultimately went a different way. It was legalized and and legislated for. Uh, So we have in one sense put our voice forward and the government or the majority have have decided to go a different direction. That's okay. We we can still advocate for maintaining those um, strict boundaries around this so it doesn't creep and others like the disability support groups will do the same. They'll, they'll resist the, the creep of euthanasia beyond what it's currently legalized for. So, look, I think we live in a, a plural society. We don't want to impose our views, but we want to have them heard. We want to be in the public square where Christianity has a voice. And that's, I think, what we're doing through this series. We're, we're presenting a Christian voice, a Christian view on all of these different topics because we're permitted to. We're, we're welcome to into the public square to, to do that. Excellent. Thank you. Sharon, any last contributions here? Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, you know, in some ways in the political realm, the train has left the station. You know, there is, there is that sense. Um, but I just wanted to end, I suppose, discussion on um, the verse you shared about Jesus saying, you know, by your love, people will know you are my disciples. And I think one of the strongest voices we have is, is that action um, on that personal level to demonstrate that we have a different way of thinking about death and embracing it. Live out a different way. Excellent. Sharon, Ben, thank you so much for helping us uh, to understand this issue and see the good news of Jesus. Let's thank these guys for their contribution. And um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue to worship our great and loving God. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, in Jesus that there is hope and life and a future. Uh, Thank you for today, the way that you've helped us to see uh, who we are in you as those who are made in your image with fundamental dignity and worth and value. Help us to value life more and human life especially more in light of today and what we've heard from your word. Uh, Thank you that there is a day where all suffering, uh, all sickness, all sadness and injury and loss will be part of the old world and there'll be a new creation of great joy and comfort and love in the presence of you, our Heavenly Father, and the joy in the company of the saints. May we look forward to that day. Uh, may we lift our eyes to that day. May we be faithful to Jesus in, the in, the, in this time. And uh, may our lives and our choices reflect the good news of the gospel that we know and that we enjoy. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.